bonus episode number six. Demons and ghosts are real. Welcome to Living the Tao, a spiritual podcast that explores how ancient wisdom, a practical perspective, and deep truth can empower you to live your best life. In this episode, Taoist master Michael Steenrod reveals the benefits and dangerous risks of encountering and fighting demons. He also gives tips on why not to reason with ghosts. It appears that Taoism, the things that became Taoism, started about 10,000 years ago. More than likely, the thing that we, that is called Tao or Taoism, that word was associated with it during the Zhou Empire uh, in China. Uh, so the one that actually predate, there are actually many, but uh, one of the ones that predate the, uh, the Chinese Empire or the consolidation of China. And uh, at this time, Taoist uh, practice was actually shamanistic practice. And that had a couple of key features to it. One, it was generally the training of one to two people by one person uh, in order to replace that person. And it was this person's responsibility uh, to generally serve usually as a healer, sometimes, depending on the clan, as the primary martial trainer. So he would actually be the instructor for warriors. Generally expected to do oracle stuff, monitor the dead. and intercede in supernatural battles. And keep in mind, this is early in Taoism, before Taoism was even called Taoism. So a portion of this was entirely just fantastic, meaning it was uh, fantasy, and a portion of this was real. And as the primary Taoist principles became more solid, uh, this became more solid. But at this time, this inceding in the supernatural, well, and actually monitoring the dead, is where we'll be focusing today. This is about the oracle function, is really what became the I Ching. If you want to look at a text that's a primary Taoist text, this is actually the primary Taoist text. It's not things like the Tao Te Ching. Uh, the I Ching is the primary text. Uh, there is no Taoist Bible and uh, because of the basic thought that within Judeo-Christian religions there's a thought that the text is truth. You have that basic assumption. Within Taoism you have the basic assumption that the text can actually never be truth. The I Ching however is the oldest text and actually uh, covers most of the major Taoist principles and how things work. And it's the book of changes and it embodies certain basic Taoist principles in that A, everything changes, uh, B, you better get used to it. Uh, and so that's really the, a nutshell of, of Taoist practice. However, it's also extremely difficult to understand and usually you just have to kind of sit there for a few years with just the basic concepts of it going, oh! And uh, after a couple of years you get a a rudimentary command of how that system works and what they're actually talking about. And then it ends up strangely being very much a whole series of charts and stuff like that that looks like math. And 
you might not want to be involved with. And, uh, but uh, so we have those elements there. So what this really ended up being was a system for training humans to their highest potential capacity. It didn't start off with that, but if you have somebody that is supposed to be interceding in the supernatural, being a healer, an oracle, responsible for monitoring the dead, and oftentimes a primary martial trainer, the goal became, well, how do, how, well, the first the, the problem was, how do you actually do that? And second, the goal became, well, the humans are capable of doing that. It's just that they have to be trained to an outrageous level in order to be able to do that. Uh, so they have to activate that natural capacity. And that activation of natural capacity eventually became the concept of enlightenment. Because, of course, enlightenment is a natural state in which you have full access to human ability. Uh, and so enlightenment contrary to many presumptions is not an unnatural state it is simply the return to that natural state so what you see after many centuries uh, and I should actually say thousands of years this becomes a much more refined system so what I'm going to do is now is just make some generalizations across all of Taoism the early part of Taoism was this and what I'd like to call this is what the series was still active is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer stage Ten thousand years ago, humans were not the dominant species, not physically on the planet, and there was no guarantee of human success within that balance. It is generally believed, so what I am passing along as part of the myth, uh, mythology and tradition of the Sun clan, it is generally believed that the oracles, or those that possessed greater oracle capabilities than the others, saw that humans were at great risk. Uh, and so they decided to hone the training process to even the playing field for humans on the supernatural side, basically versus demons. Because not only was it a matter of the humans being outnumbered or outweighed by uh, physical competition and inability to deal with their natural environment, they were being outweighed at the supernatural level. Uh, and at the supernatural level it was a question of demons. As for, so today's theory, demons and ghosts. First we'll work on the basic presumptions. Both of these exist, they're just not what you think they are. Ghosts are effectively like old skin. Kind of like when you shed your uh, if you were a snake and you shed your skin and the skin just kept slithering around by itself and doing things and it acted minorly like the snake it came off of, that's a ghost. It's a residual skin that kind of hangs around uh, because it still possesses some of the energy of life within it. And for the Chinese, there are different theories and the number is either seven or nine. They basically believe that there are seven or nine souls effectively uh, to a human and one, different ones are of different importance. Okay. The old skin or what becomes a ghost is a relatively minor soul, a relatively minor component of the human that can continue on for a long period of time. Now it's interesting because as we examine this we're also going to be touching on presumptions of what life and death are 
and what the structure of the universe is. Because, of course, if something is continuing afterwards, it suggests that there's some sort of afterlife scenario that's going on, and it also suggests uh, something about the nature of the universe itself. This is not a human. It does not really possess any significant awareness. It possesses a minor awareness. Uh, And generally, it needs an external chi source to charge it. So the environment has to, in some way, plug into it. So it's kind of like a skin that needs batteries. Uh, If the environment provides batteries to the skin, then you'll get ghost-like activity. It's not that they haven't learned to go to the light or one of those various other things. It's just left over. Uh, In general, this is an issue of monitoring the dead because uh, it's believed that the dead have no place within the world of living uh, or any remnant of them. Uh, It violates basically the rules of the game and for that reason they need to be eliminated uh, so that they don't uh, continue to contaminate the living world. And a lot of early Taoism, actually feng shui, was built to deal with the placement of the dead so that the energy flows were very specific where there were collections of dead people. And that allowed uh, actually for it to be much more favorable to the living. So a lot of uh, feng shui was built around uh, proper placement of cemeteries and how to treat the dead bodies and stuff. And that was largely to avoid... Uh, the generation of ghost-like activity because it was believed that it simply disturbs the living. So, as it usually does. So, you know, it's like, hey, uh, skin of Frank. <laughs> Let's jump on over to demons. Demons are chi creatures, kind of like sea creatures, but not really. Uh, they're chi creatures or they are creatures composed of Tao components. This isn't an aspect of good or evil. There is absolutely nothing that applies to the concept of good or evil that applies to the concept of demons. Uh, It's not that type of a relationship. It's more like these are lions and humans are chickens. That's the basic relationship between demons and humans. Humans are a prey creature. Uh, The demons feed upon them. Uh, And they feed upon them in a variety of ways, uh, working either uh, directly off of the things that make them up from the Tao or uh, consuming portions of their chi. Uh, The ones that simply consume chi are much less potent than the worms, uh, ones that are capable of feeding on your fundamental reality. Uh, And so, just as with any portion of the universe, uh, these are predatory. Uh, And for the most part, there's nothing you can do about it. You have to go through extensive training in order to fend these off, and you're likely to lose. Uh, And that's something to keep in mind. Humans do not have a special power in resisting them. Uh, And they are barely capable of rendering any defense. Kind of like if a bunch of chickens just suddenly lined up against you and you'd be going, you're chickens. What are you doing? It's like, yeah, they might get in some pecks, but they're going down one way or the other. So uh, that's the extent of difference between uh, in, these, uh, in this basic situation. Yeah. 
Now humans can rally a significant defense, uh, but it is unlikely that they will do so. And let me point out why it is unlikely. This goes to something called the scale of Qing. So we have this concept of Tao. The Tao is the fundamental force of the universe from which all things are constructed. But in and of itself, it has no particular shape and favors no particular uh, uh, series of shapes. No particular outcome appears to be favored, except there is a minor impulse towards creation. There was not, and it was a completely balanced uh, situation, the likelihood of creation existing would actually be relatively low because it would constantly be destroyed. Uh, while there is constant, uh, constant process of destruction, all of reality doesn't regularly collapse. So uh, creation as a structure is slightly favored. Now from this, when we can go at a future time more extensively into the Qing, we begin to separate into individual components. Uh, first, what generally emerges is something called essence, which is more a, a specific manifestation of the Tao component, the Tao force. Okay. A Tao component is something that is a fundamental piece of the Tao itself. So all of you possess an element of the Tao component, and humans can actually command it. Uh, it's just that uh, they need to achieve a special balance in order to be able to do that. And then from essence, we tend to either break into three primary forces depending on the model, or we break into two primary forces. It's not quite sure which one comes first. And in fact, among these three, different theories over time have jockeyed them into different positions. Okay, does that make sense? So. As Dallas have gone along, no, the three primary essences emerge first from blah, 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 blah. But they're all just whistling. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, these are all uh, demonstrable in practice as to what produces what. Uh, there isn't really a known thing. But the two primary are the yin and yang, which is where most people start understanding what these forces are. The three primary, this is generally a plus, a minus, and a zero in, se in some way. So oftentimes it is a creation, a destruction, and uh, neither creation nor destruction. Okay. And sometimes essence is even placed somewhere down in here. From these emerge different, so these are Qing, but these Qing, a Qing is a piece of true Tao, in what is oftentimes called illusion or a changeable aspect. The higher you are on the scale, the closer you are to Tao, the more Tao is in you. The farther down the scale you go, the less Tao is in you and the more illusion there is. So as we descend down through primary chi and blah 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 blah, uh, up here you also tend to have gods and demons. Down here you have humans and the earth. Animals are actually believed to be slightly lower. Depending on the model, humans ideally are 50%. 50% piece of the Tao, 50% of the illusion. 
Why is this a difficult fight? Demons are more real. They're higher on the scale. They possess more of this fundamental nature and they know the rules. It makes a big difference. When you don't know you're being predated uh, and you don't know how the universe works around you and the thing that's hunting you can hunt you at will uh, and actually knows how the universe works, you're in a bad spot. Uh, and so this is the fundamental situation of working within this concept of demons and humans. They're just better, uh, and that's a bad spot to be in. However, there are a lot of chickens, and we use a gazelle-like strategy, which is hopefully somebody else is eaten. Uh, and so that's basically the strategy of the human race. There are enough of us where other things will just kind of get picked off as you go along. In general, uh, there are two standard methods of both detecting and tracking demons. One requires something called the Taoist vision. Okay. Between sleep and meditation, there's a special little area right here where the visual center of your brain is both free and highly active. If you can occupy that position, what happens is that everybody has a natural ability to detect fluctuations within the chi field and the environment. Uh, demons are not really invisible, uh, they simply exist within and live within that particular field. When the field changes structure, you can detect it, uh, it's just that you're unused to the information that's provided. So you will generally experience something like you're just uncomfortable. Uh, you don't like that room. Uh, you don't like that person. And it may not be that you don't like that person. It's that they're being eaten in much like a gazelle within a gazelle herd. Or a herd. If the lion is eating the gazelle next to you, you kind of want to get out of there. Uh, and so your reflex is to, yeah, I don't like that person. And so you take off. Well, it's actually they're just being eaten. If you can occupy this spot here, those perceptions undertake a physical form. You can actually see it. Okay. And demons in general look like asterisks. So if we're here like this, so kind of like flat lint balls. And so you're basically looking at big flat lint balls. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Living the Tao a spiritual podcast. If you're looking for more resources on Taoism, please visit thedaoismforthemodernworld.com. Now, back to the program. With other religions, it's this great struggle between the demons and the humans, and here it's like, you're just chickens, man. Just, uh, you know, when it comes, run and hope it eats something else. Uh, and... Uh, Humans aren't so important to be individually tracked, but the same rules of predation seem to apply universally, meaning that if a person's weak in themselves, they're easier to predate. And so uh, things that will tend to make you uh, more delectable on the list of delectability is uh, actually drug use. Uh, it's one of the major elements. Uh, for some reason, once the field develops, a consistent weakness in it, or your shen grows weak, anything that does that 
means that you're an easy target and should you bump across a demon it will simply start feeding on you. Humans can become stronger than demons, yes. But that's not a typical state. So, And also anything that's selling you a ceremony to become stronger than the demon, completely incorrect. Uh, the reason for that is simple. A ceremony would be considered a uh, basically a ching created by a ching. It's not possible to create a ching that is stronger than the ching that's creating it. The ching that, is, that you produce are always less than you are. Uh, and so uh, ceremonial behaviors are chings which are of a lower order than humans because it's something that's created by humans and something that humans do. Uh, so it must naturally be lesser as a result. Many times ceremonies can create a prolonged state of concentration uh, and uh, the big function behind a prolonged state of concentration is that it can create a durable and sustained chi field of a certain nature. Uh, and uh, demons are durable, sustained chi fields that possess awareness. Uh, therein lies the, uh, uh, the use of such a thing. So if a human can't focus without uh, a ritual or a ceremony, then the ceremony or the ritual is useful to them. And if they can focus without it, then it's, you know, it's a bunch of, of uh, unnecessary things in order to do something that you can do directly. Uh, but most humans can't create uh, intensive states of concentration within their head. If you have any question about whether or not you can, uh, visualize a certain number within your head and see how long you can visualize that number. Uh, and that will basically tell you how, how long you can sustain uh, resource concentration on one uh, relatively minor thought. Uh, that can be dramatically increased, but it gives you a measure. Uh, and so let's say you are able to produce, using something like that, a weak defense uh, against a creature that lives uh, that. Uh, and so you know, your object is really just to be the fast, uncatchable chicken. Uh, if, then if you want to be the mean chicken, you know, uh, you're going to have to learn to be able to hold much more than a number in your head for a long period of time. Uh, if you move up towards the Tao mind, you, ought to, you start scaling the level of Qing. And as you begin to acquire uh, more and more Tao mind, uh, your mental capacity simply increases. You know, you'll automatically gain the ability to concentrate for large periods. Uh, a number of these tools which seem fantastic will suddenly just become available to you uh, but that's all that's part of the consequence of stepping outside of the nursery you get the grown-up package uh, they're basically looking for fast food uh, you may be very tasty at a higher level uh, but they have to catch you and skin you you know and go through that whole process as opposed to you know they're just burgers sitting right there you can just eat a burger anytime you want to or you can run after this thing that keeps darting around, you know, and punches you now and then. And you're like, hey, uh, yeah, I don't want a hamburger that bad. <laughs> I'll just eat this. And you go from there. It's just predatory. I mean, a lot of religions make demons evil, but the uh, reality is, is that they're simply predatory. Uh, and uh, there are other reasons that they're considered evil that we'll get into in a little bit. But uh, the... If you look at most religious texts, anything that is classified as evil is generally a predator, uh, almost always. That's the defining factor whether or not something is evil in something. And so the description of evil is usually as a predatory 
thing and predatory things are also just considered to be evil. So uh, what do you hunt? You hunt tigers. Why? Because they kill this or they kill that. Uh, actually you hunt them because you enjoy hunting tigers. Uh, but the representation that they're evil because they're capable of killing you is, is really you know, the big problem that's behind that. So even when you move up a moderate degree in the Qing, uh, yes, you can actually detect their presence and uh, follow them. They're relatively prevalent. It's not a rare occurrence. And even within the more modern texts like Xuanzu and a variety of others, they'll talk about demons uh, within the text, but they say it's a minor problem that you really shouldn't be concerned with. But the reason they're saying it is, one, they're philosophical Taoists, and two, uh, they know that there's nothing you can do about it. So Basically, they're saying don't spend a lot of resources on a problem you can't stop. A person with a demon problem will usually have uh, one of two things. Oh, well, this is what their experience will be like. And there are specific reasons that their experience is going to be like. Usually they have significant mysterious health problems. Uh, and that comes from the feeding. Uh, next, uh, if it is bad enough, and depending on how their uh, software is built, so what the, how their interaction with the social mind is, they'll generally be crazy. Okay. Uh, lastly, uh, they may be incredibly unlucky. Like, bad luck to an extent that you sit back and go, I don't want to be around this person, they're so unlucky. Yeah. The reason you don't want to be around them is they're being eaten by a demon and you need to get out of there before it decides to nibble on you. Uh, and, uh, and so those are major characteristics of uh, a demon infestation. The only way that a physical object can uh, repel something is if it possesses Qing. Uh, and so if the, there is a, I've talked about ceremonial elements, but what you can do, you need a skilled adept to shape it, is uh, you can take an object and shape it so that it has a single shen. So the meaning that's associated to that object is absolutely controlled. Uh, so let's say if you hold the number one in your brain, you can go over here and shape this object the chi of this object so that it possesses the number one and it will continue to hold that object until a stronger force acts on it to make it into something else, meaning it will either scramble it or it will become a different number. Uh, this requires a very consistent, stable field in order to be able to create this mimic within this object. Uh, if you're able to do that, then the object can do it. But uh, the person to do that has to be relatively skilled. They have to be up on a, on a higher level within that. Uh, but as for an object itself, an object's just an object. As long as the field fluctuates according to the environment, it has no special meaning. And so like if you go to a temple to buy a particular talisman or something like that, in theory if the shaper is skilled, you'll get this. Usually what you get is kind of, so you get a little tiny number one instead of a big dominant number one, which is what you want. By the way, I'm, I'm just using this as a, like a, a dis right. descriptor, kind of a variable name. Yeah. You want this huge number one so you can just shine it up at people. So basically like a bling. There's this huge piece of bling that just delivers a single message to all demons around. So, Like, I'm bad. And you have it just in this big chain. Yeah. But instead, it has a little number one on it. It's got the word dog in it, the word toad, the name Frank you know, all sorts of these other things in there, and that's usually what you end up buying. 
Uh, but that's what happens when you simply use ceremonial methods. Uh, if you can get this particularly shaped for this particular thing, it will in fact do that. It creates a stable field structure. It just happens to be embodied into an actual physical object. Uh, but for among the people that specialize in that, you're going to pay for that. So you're dealing with somebody who might spend, to get a potent item, for example, in adept training, when I was training with Soon, you would have to hold a single thought for 24 hours uh, just to be able to run a single thing. So any fluctuation at all, like, you know, my shoulder scratchy. Oh, no! <laughs> the Taoist vision is one method of being able to detect the presence of demons. There are other methods. Some of them are ritual methods. And basically what you're dealing with are this concept here, meaning you create an object that has a particular shape and then if that, or where the chi has a particular shape, if that shape all of a sudden changes, then you know that a very intense uh, structure just came into the area. So this is a physical method. You basically can set up a screen or a detection method and wait for something to be violated. But you have to actually be able to detect whether or not the field's been shifted. If you can't, then it's outside of your domain to do anything. Uh, the next thing is, is you can track mind play. So mind play is the, are the little words that go inside of your head. By the way, uh, mind play shouldn't actually exist. Mind play comes from social mind. Humans in their true form have, in fact, no mind play. So you can use the mind play to your advantage. If you walk into an area that you find really disturbing what happens, the little words that go on in your head change their nature. Okay. And that is because you are responding to the balance of chi within that particular area and also the sensory uh, values that are there. So, you know, if you walk in and all of it's set, well, let's take a library, for example. Uh, usually when you go to a library, the library is built to encourage studying. It has different study things. It reminds you of the process of studying. And there are other people there that are, in fact, studying a very important series of things that we would all classify into hygiene. Okay. So the hygiene of an environment will determine or influence the mind play, but then also there's something independent of hygiene issues that determine whether or not you have comfort or discomfort in a given area. That is generally chi. So you can feel that at an animal level, and if you are unaware of it even, you can still track it by the way that your mind play changes within your head. So if you're walking along and it's like, do 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 do, uh, it's a really great day. I hate people. I hate people. Uh, it's a really great day. You just walk through something. You just have to track the play of mind within your head. You can do this deliberately by going through and testing thoughts within your brain to see which ones are harder to form and easier to form. And so if I'm walking along and my environment is positive, it's easier for me to form positive, happy thoughts. If uh, I'm sitting there and, and it, it's difficult for me to sustain a negative thought. If my environment is negative, then it's easier for me to sustain a negative thought and harder for me to sustain a positive thought. And you can actually test float thoughts and you have to become pretty sophisticated uh, at this. But in time, you can begin to see that, well, this, thing ha this place has a particular influence that is much stronger than what I was thinking. So particularly if, if you've had a good day and all of you walk into an area and suddenly you're thinking, I hate chickens. And it's like, well, what is creating this thought of chicken hatred? 
you know, why do I now want to kill all chickens? That's a major factor. Uh, and that's how we can detect fluctuations within the chi environment. Uh, demons, by their nature, fluctuate and distort the chi environment. They distort it very strongly. As most creatures, not always, they will tend to produce an intensive, negative, or depressive thought within humans because uh, it favors them to do so. Because are you weaker or stronger when you're negative? You're generally much weaker. And particularly if you're going into a depressive cycle. So basically it's just like spraying ketchup on your hamburger. Uh, and so it's like, well, now you're much easier to deal with because you're depressed and you don't feel like you can do anything anymore. Uh, and so imagine even in human warfare what a potent weapon it would be if suddenly all the opposing soldiers were sitting there going, we can never win. Man, my life sucks. And it's like, well, walk on over and beat them with a stick. Uh, and same thing. So that's their technology because that's their domain. Okay. If you can maintain your mind in a stable position that doesn't make those changes, you become automatically demon resistant because you can't be easily fed upon. Uh, so it's like you have put undesirable spices on your body. Uh, and now the demon's going to and uh, so they go on to something else to eat. Uh, and so you can repel uh, based on that as you go along. And these are the two uh, primary detection methods, uh, but they have to be developed. And to develop that control of mind play, actually you can just do that with any sort of seated, focused uh, meditation, because you get used to being able to occupy a single point. And as soon as you can create a stable point within your head, you can detect when there are outside influences that are moving that stable point off. Now, more than likely, a percentage, just a percentage, of insanity is due to the influence of demons. The rest of it is due to the person being crazy. Uh, which is always something to keep in mind. So it depends where you're on the scale. If you just happen to be walking along and suddenly you think about slitting your own throat, generally you can fend off that impulse. Uh, or else it leads to really bizarre you know, sidewalk incidences as they go through. But uh, the, if you're already worn down uh, or you've been sick or you're just particularly tired, uh, fending off or changing thoughts like that uh, is much more difficult. Uh, even if you can recognize the influence, you still may not act to offset that influence and because negative states are so very persuasive. Uh, and so once you're in a negative mental state, you tend to do, just do negative things. Uh, you don't do things to end your negative mental state. And so that can be very difficult. Uh, if you are, in fact, in a position where you're unfortunate enough to be besieged by a demon, you have that as a constant influence. Uh, the object is really just to get to the point of where you're so undesirable uh, that uh, uh, it'll leave you alone. Demon combat. The basics. Fundamentals of demon combat. That would be an interesting uh, freshman <laughs> class. As we said, the, the combatant, the warrior in this instance, needs to be able to do two things. One, detect it to generate a consistent field. It doesn't have to be long term. In fact, there are 
uh, basically intensive pulse weapons uh, that are used uh, quite effectively in demon combat. Uh, but it has to be consistent, so it has to be focused into a given area. Detection, your best detection method, will in general be the Taoist vision. And the reason for this is that this is the easiest spot to occupy. Getting into that position, many times the person has to be in a meditative state. So they have to enter into a meditative state and hold it. And so it can be difficult for a person to be both in motion and naturally meditative. Some people have the natural capacity to occupy that in-between state. There also runs another risk in this area, and that is initially going through the training process for this, many people go insane. And it's because you begin uh, anything that you want to see within the meditative process, you will see. You'll simply activate the vision. So if you want to be attacked by Papa or what are they? Uh, Pop-Tarts, that will certainly happen. You will engage in this massive Pop-Tart battle uh, and you will slay them before you or you will be overwhelmed. So the problem is of course delusion. And this will ultimately, if you were to go through the training process, part of uh, the training process is asking the, the basic question, coming to understand how we answer it, how do you know what's real? There are actually very basic things that we do to establish that something is real or not real, and we can look at that at some other time or even later today. But in general, the Taoist vision is the easiest thing to do, but it means that you're occupying a state between sleep and meditation, which oftentimes you don't have physical control of your body during this time. So if the battle goes against you, you've lost, and many times you will lose permanently because the battle will kill you. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Living the Tao, a spiritual podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the fine folks at Water Mountain. Please take a look at some of the great Four Ascendant Sphere merchandise. Your purchase helps keep everyone gainfully employed. Please go to thedaoismforthemodernworld.com and visit the shop. Now, back to the program. The functioning and the tracking of mind play, safer, more difficult to do, easier to be full of it. Uh, and so those are all major concerns. So the concern of delusion is always a major uh, factor when doing those things. The weapon can be very simple. If you can sustain a single period of thought or simply resist the shift of mind play, you can actually protect yourself because you make yourself undesirable as a target. Can you protect other people with that? Actually, no, you can't. Okay. Purely a self-defense weapon. Uh, the only other way that you can do that is to create or build your shin so that it is the thing that controls chi, so that it is so strong that you can walk into an area and simply change all the chi around you. Uh, to do that, you need consistent, an intensely consistent field in this overwhelmingly strong shen. Confidence that is so great that people, you know, gain by your presence and immediately crush down when you walk away. Uh, so intensive confidence uh, is what most people will experience such a thing as.
In the Taoist vision, you can actually form and visualize weapons. And usually this weapon is a component both of emotion and intensive, consistent field. The problem with this is that you are in a place between dream and meditation, so you don't have control over everything. And you can be very easily drawn off or distracted, if that is your nature. So, you know, it's kind of like if you were in the middle of life or death combat and suddenly you became concerned about how much air pressure there was in your tires. And you're just sitting there going, did I, did I turn off the stove? And it's like, uh, some dude's stabbing you with a knife. What? Uh, it's too late. You've already lost. Yeah. In general, the things that make it so that you are going to lose any combat is one, whether or not you can be tempted and whether or not you can be stopped by having things revealed. Okay. And so this begins to overlap into classic concepts of good or evil and may in fact uh, provide you with contemplation about how other religions came to form their concepts of good or evil and uh, how things can work. The concept of temptation. Basically the way this works is that if you can be presented with a modest fulfillment of animal desire and be drawn off of your focus, you cannot possibly succeed in any sort of demon combat. It's kind of like if you were to hunt a deer and all you had to do was to wave a little flag over here and the deer would stop completely and not do anything else. And then it would walk over, forget that you were going to shoot it or just club it. Uh, and you drop it on the ground over here. Then it runs over and starts playing with this little fluff of cloth and you're just sitting there stabbing it repeatedly or clubbing it with a stick. That's what a human is that can be tempted. If they can be drawn off of their focus simply by having a the potential fulfillment of a bodily desire presented to them, that is not a person that can engage in combat because that person is so unaware of their own needs and so far down on the scale of fulfillment, they can't do anything. Uh, and so, again, that's like having a shiny little lure. You just go, wee, 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 wee. And they're like, and then you shoot them, uh, and it's done. Uh, so there are plenty of little shiny human lures, and what do you lure an animal with? You lure it with the promise of sex or food, uh, the promise of some sort of fulfilling other behavior. You do the same thing with a human. Uh, you just pull out your shiny lure or your, your mating call, and, wah, wah, and suddenly a human comes running, and you have them exactly in the same position. And generally what happens, even in the struggle, if the demon is strong, what will happen is you will experience a heart event during this because the heart is part of the Shen structure. And you need to be able to tolerate the heart event. Now, generally what this is, is it's an intensive radiative pain that feels like you've been stabbed in the heart. Uh, and these are only among strong demons. The other thing is, is that generally post-event, what you will do is your liver 
will experience a period of tremendous physical uh, decay, as if you know you drank antifreeze or something like that. And so you're sitting around, very physical response in both situations. It's also not uncommon to go at least partially blind if the struggle has been severe and you were incorrect in your application of things. So you'll lose sight momentarily and also hearing might collapse away from your ears entirely. Now that is if you're up and around. Uh, so you need a certain recovery period. Even if you're successful, you will experience these symptoms to a certain extent. Usually it's minor. If it was a major struggle, you will be weak and relatively vulnerable for sometimes weeks. Uh, the heart event is probably the worst thing because it does in fact feel physically like you're going to die. The next thing is if you can be stopped by the concern of having a secret revealed, that's not that you can't possess secrets, uh, it's that the act of revealing them would in somehow stop or cause a panic within you, you can be easily stopped uh, because this will be manipulated uh, so that this somehow gets revealed in human interaction. Uh, and the reason for this is simple. All that you are, regardless of whether or not you know it, and all that you have ever done is visible at all times. Uh, there is, in fact, uh, no hidden behavior. Uh, and if you are at a higher level of Qing, you can simply see that. Uh, and the problem is, is that among humans, we believe the rules that such things are concealed. Uh, and they're not concealed. They're only concealed within the social line. Uh, as soon as you step outside of it, you become uh, instantly visible uh, to anything that moves along. Uh, and so, much like if you were to look at a chicken and see that the chicken is wearing a hat and a scarf, uh, but it's pretending that in fact it's not wearing a hat and a scarf to all the other chickens, all you have to do is say, hey, you're wearing a hat and scarf, and that chicken panics, you know, and, and runs around, and uh, suddenly, you know, it's not occupying the defensive position it was occupying before, and you just go over and eat its friends, uh, then you eat it later. Uh, but, if, so if you can be stopped by any one of those two things, you need to rule out the possibility of demon combat. Usually the nature of uh, temptation, uh, the way it works is if the person has the, the ability to be tempted, it means that their mind can be drawn in that area easily. Uh, and it's not so much that you know, there's going to be a sudden uh, physical sexual opportunity that just pops up next to them. It's that because they are vulnerable to that temptation, their mind can be drawn in that area and uh, because it wants to go there. And so once that's violated, uh, the opponent has free will. Uh, so it, again, it's, if we were to take a physical situation, uh, and let's say you were facing a physical opponent, and suddenly you, you could have them become distracted by thoughts of a sexual opportunity, you know, they're caught up thinking about this over here, and you're just beating on them. Uh, that would be great. Uh, or if they were caught into some other great desire, like they really needed a cigarette, and they just spent all their time thinking about a cigarette and uh, uh, you know, move from there. By the way, that uh, interestingly enough, as part of the adept systems of combat, those skills are developed. So uh, you work very consciously on uh, arts of distraction. So lessons were learned from the demons. What I learned within the adept training was the, the art of the mystic fist, uh, which is basically demon combat. And uh, 
but it's not like an intensive discipline. You know, I don't have a side business that says demon combat and uh, go out working with it. But at one time it was. There, for a period of time, the Taoists did actually succeed, and then the Buddhists, uh, as they began to uh, began to move in there, and so uh, demons were just the. Basically, it's like taking the most predatory of the beasts and killing them, uh, you know, or just making it so. Well, you know, this cluster of people is on not a desirable game because you know now and now and then let's say you're a deer hunter and you knew that a particular herd was well known for killing a certain percentage of the hunters you just go farm a different herd uh, and especially if like the hunters are nailed to stuff and uh, uh, or displayed in various jars as you're walking along and it's like Joe? Damn! <laughs> and then you just head out uh, and so it's really a, a system of opportunity. I don't know anything about frequency of feeding or anything like that either. Well, I, you had a massive rise of, of this technology. The problem with it is, of course, when you're dealing in these areas, it's really easy to collapse into delusion mm -hmm. when, you're not, when you don't have the actual battle as a reference. Uh, when you have the actual battle as a reference, then you are preparing for something very specific, and you go in and you go, hey, that really hurts. Uh, I better get better at that really, really fast. And so, you know, that's a realistic thing. But uh, while there was an initial surge, and the Taoists actually believe they're significantly responsible for the survival of the human race, uh, as the race started getting one and there were fewer demons present, uh, people stopped investing into it and the practices collapsed into delusion. Uh, and so what you got were ceremonial systems, uh, which are largely powerless. Uh, and also, for example, one of the first things that the, and as Buddhists also spent a lot of time doing this as well, uh, one of the first things that the communists in China did when they took over uh, was to overcome suspicion by breaking all the demon jars. And so they would just raid temples to destroy these demon jars and point out that, in fact, there are no such things as demons because nothing's leaping out of this jar. Uh, and so a demon can actually be bound as long as the field structure in the object is strong enough to prevent them from altering it. So they basically get stuck into a container, which is a physical container. And so this caused a massive release of the demons uh, that had been captured because Buddhists don't destroy the demons, they just capture them. Uh, and the Taoists would destroy the demons, however, at any possible opportunity. Uh, but, you know, you keep a bunch of pets in a jar, and then they all get let out by the thousands, because there are tens of thousands of jars that were destroyed. It caused a massive flux in the other direction. They believed it has caused a certain amount of misery in the world, and that it also strengthened the social mind. So as we can see, the concept of demons in and of themselves doesn't create a concept of uh, uh, afterlife or other elements like that. So normally those are associated within most religions. Uh, within Taoism this is recognized as pretty much just being a predatory structure because demons have nothing to do with death other than causing death in certain situations where they basically overgrazed somebody. Um, demons also tend to nibble more than uh, chew down huge amounts. So it's like they're just selective biters. They just go by and consume some of this and consume some of that. And so what a human will do is they'll, you know, uh, they won't bleed to death is what they'll do. 
that's pretty much the extent of healing. Humans do have a tremendous ability to self-heal, they just don't use it. And it's just like humans have a tremendous ability to change, they just choose not to do it. Uh, humans have a tremendous ability to scale up the scale of Qing, they're just not doing it. Uh, and so, if you ask me the question of can they do it, the response is yes. Are they likely to do it? The response is no. So, I'm not sure if that's a positive or a negative message, but yeah. but it's a realistic assessment. So definitely, humans present uh, enormous capacity. They just typically don't use it. A human, if you look at the more modern. Tao Buddhist schools, which I'm not necessarily a proponent of at all, they have a cycle that's very much like reincarnation. And that is, is if you're going up the positive pole of karma and accumulate enough good, uh, you can in fact uh, ascend and become a god until you run out of good. Uh, once you've run out of good, uh, then you descend and recycle yourself back in humanhood. Uh, and that's basically how that kind of Tao Buddhist approach works. Uh, so your object is to accumulate both chi and the tremendous karmic power of good and eventually that moves you outside of the human range of Qing. Now what can happen is that as you accumulate more karma and move yourself towards greater truth you are shifting your fundamental nature, something that we have in fact been calling Ness. Okay? Ness is in fact your Qing. As the Qing scales upward, it stops being what is mostly called human now. The problem of all of this, and the real problem of this, is that humans are more illusion now than they are real. As that is gradually shifted, so the difficulty of moving up the scale is much greater than it was at one time. Um, so you just have to go through the same enlightenment process. Then you shift up farther. That's it. So go forth and be gods. Everybody understand the basic principles of demon combat? Mm -hmm. okay. Ghosts can be rid in the same fashion. They're much more passive. Uh, don't try to reason with it. It's like reasoning with a sock. doesn't do any good. Uh, you simply establish a counter command or counter impulse in uh, order basically to disrupt it. But you're making a lot of effort to disrupt a sock. Uh, so really it's just kind of a practice thing. So you see, Qi does whatever you tell it to. It doesn't care what shape it's in, it doesn't care what, how it's occupied, it doesn't care about any of those things. Uh, the shape that it's placed into is its natural shape. Uh, and so it'll hold a number one as easily as it'll hold anything else that you put it in there until something, more, until something stronger acts upon it. The exception to that is uh, when you are working with Tao components, uh, which is beyond uh, the capability of most humans. Uh, in those situations, the structures can be so prevalent that they don't need a physical uh, structure at all. They'll simply dwell in a particular area and they're so strong that they can change anything that they come in contact with. But. She could be shaped almost infinitely, but to, on, in order to get great shaping, you have to work at the level of essence. Uh, and humans' ability to control essence is pretty limited. Uh, and it's difficult enough where demons don't use it as a feeding method. So uh, that tells you roughly where you'd have to be on the scale. Uh, and, but to shape small things uh, it is doable within the mythology. The healing hand system for Qigong is basically based on first creating a set of what? Consistently sustainable fields 
uh, that are used as tools to modify the fields that are, it's placed in contact with is actually the foundation of the healing system. Uh, and so those tools are then gone through and, and used in that fashion. A skilled healer at the second level of healing has the ability to gather a very small quantity of essence for short periods of time and uh, that can be used to seed very damaged systems uh, but it's extremely demanding to do and it uh, falls apart if there's even a small modification of thought uh, and so that's really the a critical element there uh, as you proceed farther uh, up the scale there's nothing that says that you couldn't become much more elaborate with a tool use or shaping it's just uh, the tools are typically thought uh, and so you would have to be able to form pure thoughts outside of language uh, any thought that's in your head that has words associated with it are automatically uh, limited and impure because they belong in part to social mind uh, only outside of language can you think at full speed and create thoughts that are unhindered so. yes in general life can be uh, seen as a container uh, so, like all humans are a container, uh, pretty much any life that you uh, see or encounter is some sort of contained field or collection of things. If you disrupt the container, then the stuff that's inside comes out. Uh, when that occurs, the thing is dead. Basically what happens is that death and infinite whole is created within a person. And by that I mean uh, no matter how much chi you put back into it to reestablish it, you are incapable of doing it, and that's because all of the stuff that's inside will pour back out. So, one of the more advanced drills of healing is to learn the difference between something that's dead, something that's organic, and something that's inorganic. Uh, and the big thing of working with stuff that's at the point of death, whether it's animal or human or even a plant, is that it's an infinite whole. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do to try and plug it, you'll never be able to reverse it. So at least with chi. In theory, a Tao component could patch it, but then you are violating divine law and that's going to have karmic consequences. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living the Tao, a spiritual podcast. Remember, you can find much more on Taoism at thedaoismforthemodernworld.com. Thank you.